Uh, General William Westmoreland was the commander of the U.S. Army forces in Vietnam from 1964 to 1968, and he had a sentence that uh, I'd like to share with you. Six words. It's this. War is fear cloaked in courage. War is fear. And war is fear cloaked in courage. I have never been in an active military battle war situation. Uh, Some of you have been. I cannot even fathom the kind of fear that an active war zone would bring in battle like that. I cannot also even imagine the kind of courage it would take to be able to uh, be a military person persevering through that whole situation. I haven't experienced that, and most of us haven't, but I will say this. All of us live in a spiritual war zone. All of us. We live in a spiritual war zone, and part of what ends up happening in that spiritual war zone is a thing called fear. And fear is real, It is a reality, and we all know it, and we all understand it in the spiritual war zone that we live in. The question is, is how do we handle it? What do we do with it? We live in a fear-filled place. In fact, there are hundreds of named phobias. Uh, The screen has a list of some hundred of them. Uh, Some of them are absolutely life-dominating. Some of them are, okay, it's just time to laugh a little, are a little bit unique. Let me share a few of these with you. There is electorophobia, the fear of chickens. There is globophobia, the fear of balloons. Actually, you're getting quieter, so maybe there are some fear of balloons in this room. There is the ranidophobia, the fear of frogs. There is, you'll get this one, bananaphobia. <laughs> you know, that's right, you know. Okay, now hang with me on this one because I'm fearful going into this. Hippopotomonstrosis quiptaliophobia. It is the fear of long words. <laughs> it's true. It's totally true. I mean, in that, you just enter that and you're like, I'm scared to death just about to read this whole thing. Uh, Two more, there's the aerophobia. It's actually the fear of sacred objects or persons. Uh, Some definitions of it include ministers. That concerns me. (laughs) The fear of me. Uh, And here's the last one. Uh, Phobophobia, the fear of fear. The fear of fear itself. Um, And we can giggle at some of them, but we also all know that fear is a reality. And fear can be life-crippling. Two for me, just straight on the table, and these are real. Two for me, man, claustrophobia. Put me in a tight spot. Man, I can freak out. Just interesting with that. Then another one, you may not have this one, but Karen and I were in Israel some years ago and we were uh, in a hotel. We were on the eighth floor. We were taking the elevator down to the first floor. 
Uh, it stopped at floor seven, some people got in. Stopped at floor six, and I'm just telling you, it was jammed. I'm already feeling claustrophobic. I mean, jammed like no one else. And then all of a sudden, something went weird. And I kid you not, it dropped six floors to the basement. And in fact, when it landed, I mean, and it went with a kaboom. And the lady over here, I'm already sweating thinking about this. The lady over here, she says, I think I'm about to have a panic attack. That was right after the guy next to her said, my knees are hurting. And, she's, and I'm, I'm like, girl, I'm right about with you on that. <laughs> and so I'm going to call it, I have claustrophobia and elevator phobia. Uh, Karen even observes me, kid you not, even to this day, stepping into an elevator, I kind of have to take a breath because it's just like, here we go. Fear's real. And uh, it can be funny, uh, but it's also very serious. And then when you take the reality of fear in the world that we live in, and you combine that with Isaiah 41.10 that says, fear not, there's a thing where you go, that's awesome, but how? I mean, seriously, if we're called to fear not, then like, how? I think our text brings us to this reality today. Practically, today's text on a practical level is one of the best, uh, outside of uh, end of Mark chapter four, best text in all of scripture, giving a narrative on how to deal with fear. Uh, Historically, the text that we're in today in 1 Samuel 17, and you turn there please, 1 Samuel 17 historically tells us how David is now moving into position of actually moving towards being the king. Last Sunday we learned he was anointed to be king, but now he starts moving. Theologically, it is full of things. And we're going to see all, all of these in here, but I want for you to know that kind of the outline, the sermon outline is practical oriented today with dealing with fear. But all three of these are going to be in that when God is bigger than our fears. Lord, I pray just in our time as we progress ahead and dive into this text of 1 Samuel that you would just come alongside us, help us, love us, give us insight and spirit of God, use the word of God to bring hope and change and glory to you, Father. In Christ's name I pray, amen. 1 Samuel 17. Bible's open, that's where we're at. We are in the account of David and Goliath when uh, God is bigger than my fears. The context of 1 Samuel 17, it's about 50 years after the end of the book of Judges. Book of Judges can be summarized as when everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes. Man, that sounds like today. It's 50 years after that time frame. It's 25 years about since Saul has been king in Israel. So some time has been going there. Samuel, last Sunday in chapter 16, anointed the youngest son of Jesse to become the king. God has rejected Saul. Uh, has, uh, David has come onto the scene. Even the son that the father didn't think would be a possible candidate is the one that the Lord picks in it. And remember, chapter 15, uh, 16 verse 7 talks about how the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. Why would God in this choose David? Well, he sovereignly chose David, but in this whole statement, not that son, not that son, not that son, not that son, that son. There's something going on in his heart. Friends, what is it? Watch today. Okay, let's follow the text. Verse 1. And now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. 
We're moving into a battle scene. It's not an anointing scene. It's, it's past the David playing the, the small harp, the lyre, for Saul and his uh, troubling condition. And we're in an army battle. And they were gathered at Sakkah, which, which belongs to Judah, and encamped between Sakkah and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered and encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in line of battle against the Philistines. And the Philistines stood on the mountain on the one side and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley between them. Picturing it, there's a mountain, there's these big hills on each side, a valley in between, verse four. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath whose height was six cubits and a span. Let's talk about that for a little bit. Let's set it up. The Philistine army is standing over here on the one mountainside. The Israelite army is on the other side. There's a valley in between. I don't know if, you've, if maybe you've been to Israel. Some of you have maybe seen this territory where this very possibly took place, have been there. And it's quite open. It's not forested. It's just kind of open terrain with these large hills that are going on. Uh, we are learning here that the uh, Philistines are sending out their champion, Goliath of Gath. Now that is an awesome WWE name. You know, like who do you have? Boom, boom, Goliath of Gath. And that's really what's happening. And it's like, man, that's a weird war. But, but that's what, how this is unfolding itself in the reality of this. Uh, and so that's taking place. And then it notes Goliath's height. And there's some textual variants on that whole thing in there. But there's conversations that Goliath was anywhere from six foot nine to nine foot nine uh, tall. And why am I even bringing that up? Well, I think it adds some of the understanding of what's going on, and I would even say it also challenges our view of who God is. Archaeologists have done studies and found out that back in that day, the average height of the average male in Israel was five foot four inches in that day. So really the question is, is could God create a nine foot nine man in a five foot four world? And actually, uh, many uh, have a hard time with that. That just can't happen in that. I would argue that it can happen even because we've seen it over history in the last 200 years. There have been a number of people that are over eight foot tall. In fact, I have it noted down, Robert Wadlow was, was measured at eight foot 11 inches tall in that. But, but I'll add that. I just don't even go off of what is physical and can make sense, but can God create a nine foot nine man in a five foot four world? And I say, yes, he can. And I'll add to that this, that when you take a look at what comes next, a nine foot nine is most likely. Follow this in the text. Look at the next verse five. He had a helmet of bronze on his head. I just can't even imagine wearing that. And he had an armed, and he was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. We'll come back to that. Verse six. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze strung, uh, slung between his shoulders. Verse seven, the shaft of the spear was like a weaver's beam. In other words, it was huge. And his spearhead weighed 600 shekels of iron and his shield bearer went before him. Just a couple of pieces of data. His coat that he wore in the, the size of it, his coat weighed 121 pounds. His coat of armor 
that's probably back in that day as a five foot four average male. That's like wearing the average human at the time for Israel. You've got to be huge to wear a 120 pound coat. Oh, by the way, then he has a bronze helmet and he has bronze uh, uh, things on his legs. And then I'll note the spearhead. Just the spearhead, the point of the spear, it's 14 and a half pounds. That's almost two gallons of milk. <laughs> that sounds like a Veggie Tales right there. So in that, think about it. I mean, you, you know what it is to carry a gallon of milk. Like two of those is a spearhead. I, I think of like one gallon of milk. I'm 5'11", and I'm like, Ugh! and I have no accuracy. I'm not like, in it, and that's the end of the spearhead. Friends, the dude is huge in it. Doug, how tall do you think he was? Um, ginormous. I think he was likely nine foot nine tall. Because frankly, God can create a nine foot nine human. Fear is big, friends. And fear roars. Let's keep reading verse five. He had a helmet of bronze. Uh, we read through that. Size, let's go to verse eight. He stood and he shouted to the ranks of Israel. Fear steps forward. Fear steps forward and watch this. It stands big. He stood and he shouted the ranks of Israel. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Why have you come out to draw for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man from yourselves and let him come down for me. By the way, I, I, I have such a hard time reading this because I'm just, I have this airy, wimpy voice anyway. And it's like this dude yelling this. Can you, uh, I'm trying. Verse nine, if, if he was able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants. Man, friends, there are big ramifications of this battle. Verse 10, and the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. So this is how this war is taking place. And it comes out and it stands big and it shouts big. Friends, practically, that's what fear does. Fear stands before us and it shouts big to us. It mocks us. You are small. You are weak. I am bigger than you. And the truth of the matter is Goliath's shouts were true. He was bigger than them. And he could take any of them out. And the Israelites were small. Practical observation three. Fear shakes up big Look at how they respond. When Saul and all Israel heard these words, by the way, that means Saul is on sight. When Saul and Israel heard the words of these Philistines, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. That's what's happening. It gives us insight into the heart of what's going on with God's people in this text. So how are God's people responding? Man, how amazing that we get to get inside their heads and hear what's going on. They're utterly dismayed and they are afraid. And the truth of the matter is, is I probably would have been too and you probably would have been as well. And then fear sticks around big. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite, 
of Bethlehem and Judah named Jesse. We learned that last Sunday in chapter 16, who had eight sons. In the days of, of Saul, the man uh, was already old and advanced in years. And the three oldest sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. So the three older sons, which are named in the text from chapter 16, they are in the battle. And the names of the three sons that we saw last Sunday, Eliab, the firstborn, next was Abinadab, the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. By the way, why is it saying David went back and forth in this? It was common in the day that family would be providing the army with food. In that day, they didn't have like, you know, food trucks or, you know, cafeteria tents that they would be able to out on site be able to do. So family would actually be providing their loved ones with things. So David is part of this, as we'll see later. Look at verse 16. This is key. For 40 days. How many days? 40 days the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. Think about that. For 40 days, not four days, not 14 days, not 24 days, but 40 days, morning and night, Goliath would come out, roar! And what would happen? Israelite army is afraid in the morning, in the evening. Then the next day, in the morning, in the evening. And the next day, in the morning, in the evening, for 40 days. Friends, at what point in time do you not want to be in this war? At what point in time do you not even want to wake up? Because you know when you wake up, he's going to come out and you're going to be afraid again. And this is not just a moment of time. And oftentimes people think this whole David and Goliath thing was like a one day event, but there's this whole movement into what's taking place of it all. And fear sticks around big. You are small, you are weak, I am bigger than you. You cannot defeat me. Be afraid, be very uh, afraid of me. And you think about the fear of failure, fear of rejection, Fear of being found out. Fear of sickness. Fear of cancer. The fear of COVID. The fear of death. The fear of losing your physical looks. The fear of not getting good grades. The fear of public speaking. The fear of not being able to pay your bills. The fear of being wrong or the fear of being alone. The fear of government decisions, or the fear of balloons, or chickens, or pastors, or elevators. So how are God's people supposed to respond when fear stands up? Well, fear is fought. Fear is fought. We go to war with fear. Like how, Doug? Well, let's take a look. Let's observe two people groups here. People group number one, King Saul and his men, verse 17. And Jesse said to David his son, take for your brothers an ephah of this parched grain and these 10 loaves, carry them quickly to the camp to your brothers. Also take these 10 cheeses to the commander of your thousand. So it's, like I said, it's here, take some food to your brothers and <laughs> I'm wondering if this is kind of, and take, take something to their commander just to keep on the good side, encourage him. 
See if your brothers are well, bring some token from them. Verse 19, now Saul and they and all the men, I think they is the brothers, were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. We'll come back to that. David rose early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took the provisions and he went and Jesse had, as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the encampment as the host was going out to the battle line shouting the war cry in Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle army against army and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers and he talked with them and behold the champion. By the way, as a youngest brother, I would have loved those moments with my older brothers if that was the case, just to see him, see how they're doing, connecting. I would have cherished that seriously. Uh, verse 23, and as he talked to them, behold, the champion, the Philistine of Goliath, Goliath by name, came up out of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words before. And here's important words. And David heard him. Well, we're now being told as David has gone out to this to provide food, he's kind of checking what's going on and keeping up with things. And all of a sudden, it's that time of the day. Was it morning? Was it evening? I don't know. It doesn't matter. But the point is, is David all of a sudden has this opportunity to see this war that is going on. Verse 24, and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. And the men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel and the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. In other words, they will remove his taxes. That'd be awesome. So what do we find? We find the king and the men of Israel, verse 19, one of the things that's noted about them is they were fighting. I'm sorry, but that's laughable. This is fighting. I'm not trying to say that, that I would be the warrior. I'd be chicken like them too. But in it, it's interesting in verse 19, and they were fighting. What, what was the fighting? They would wake up in the morning. They would all line up. Goliath would step out. Come on, bring your man. And they would all run. That's the fight. And then the same thing happened that evening. And then the next day, and the next day, and for 40 days, this is them fighting. Fact of the matter is, is they're not fighting at all. Instead, what are they doing? Verse 25, they're just talking about the fear. They're like, you know, you picture it, they get around the fire that night. It's like, oh, oh man, can you imagine this whole thing with, you know, man, we're just, I'm scared. Are you scared? Yeah, I'm scared. I'm scared. You know, it, it's kind of like getting all elevator phobia people all in one group together. You know, and sometimes that can be helpful just to know that other people are going through your issues as I've totally bore my soul to you today. Um, but in it, sometimes those uh, getting around people just to be able to talk and whine and complain about your fear isn't helping you get past the fear. It's actually driving you into it even more at times. Who's there to pull you out of it? And that's kind of what's going on in verse 25. They're just talking about it. But then we have David. We have David here. Verse 26 and 27, uh, look at what takes place. And David said to the men who stood by him, what shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach of Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way. So shall it be done to them who kills them? Two questions David's, I think, bring to the table here. One is David's kind of asking a victor question. Uh, 
commentaries are often kind of caught in, so why is David bringing up what, what he's going to get out of this? So is this kind of showing that David really wants stuff? And is all? No, I don't think so. But I will tell you, why not understand what, what the end game is? Nothing's wrong with that here. But I would say in this, David is, do you, do you see what's going on? David is thinking victory here. And friends, hear me on this. This text gets so overly self-esteem moralized. That's not the point of the text. You are not going to hear me say today, you need to think more positively. You are not going to hear me say today, you can slay any great thing in your life. That's not the point of the text. That's self-esteem thinking. That's myopic thinking. That's me-centered thinking. I just want God to take care of all of my little annoyances of life. God, boom, God, boom, God, boom. That's not what's happening here. That's not even what David is. David is, though, in this. He is asking, he's thinking, God is going to bring victory in it. You see, victory is not in David. David knows that victory is in God. And to make it a self-esteem, moralized thing. Hey, children, you can conquer anything in front of you. Friends, I just want to tell you, if you're teaching that kid, you're teaching the wrong truth. God is doing something in this, and we'll see this unfold. There's a bigger, better, deeper theology truth in this than some human pat herself on the back wish list. And hear what's going on. The men are fearful, but Dave is bringing victory into this thing. And Dave is asking his question, why are we fearing? How often do we ask that of ourselves in fear? What's going on in me right now? Why am I fearful? Like, what's happening here? Like, if I step in this elevator and it drops to the floor, I'm totally embarrassing myself today, but I step in this and it drops to the floor and I die. Uh, Friends, I'm just gonna say, is that really so bad? As someone who, what scripture says, has been redeemed in Christ, through Christ, held in the hand of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, knowing that even if I were to die at any moment, I'm with the Lord. Hey, I don't want to see my, I don't want to leave my wife. I don't want to leave my kids and my grandkids and all that kind of stuff. But I'm telling you, with the Lord, bam! That's in this, I think, what David is bringing in. Let me say it this way. I love this text. I wish I had an hour. Um, David is not questioning the fact of fear. David is questioning the validity of the fear. David is not questioning the fact that you and I will experience fear. David is questioning the validity of the fear that I'm experiencing in this moment and what do I do with it? David brings the Lord into his fear-filled situation. You see, so far we have heard nothing from Saul, nothing from the Israelites, anything about God and what God has said to them as a people, what God has revealed to them on who he is, any of the historical background in their own lives or in the history of God working with the people of Israel. None of that's being brought to the table. God is not being brought and connected into it, but David, all of a sudden, David steps in and David brings the God question. Like, so where's God in this whole thing? How about that? I'm not questioning the fear. I am questioning the validity of the fear because of who our God is. Verse 28. Now Eliab, the eldest brother, heard 
his eldest brother heard this when David spoke to the men and Eliab's anger was kindled against David and he said, why have you come down and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. Chapter 16, verse 7. The Lord says, after Samuel looked at Eliab and said, Samuel's thinking, this is the guy. Eliab's the guy. I mean, he's got every, he's, he's the full looking package. And then God steps in and says, no, no, no. I choose by what's going on in the heart. Brought that up last week. And I was asking, what's in, what's, What's missing in their, their heart? Friends, I'm telling you, we are now seeing Eliab's heart being revealed here. And Eliab has an anger problem. And it's showing here now. And isn't it interesting that God says, I look on the heart, and then he goes, I want David. And here's Eliab making this comment, David's heart is evil when God has made this declaration that I'm looking at the heart and I want that guy. Fascinating with the connection of the terminologies here. Why have you come? You have an evil heart. You have not come down to see the battle. David said, what have I done now? <laughs> that is so a, a, a sibling reply. Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another, spoke in the same way, and the people answered him again as before. Verse 31, when the words that David spoke were heard, they repeated them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, again, note this, I don't think David's going back to the palace. I think David, Saul is on site there. And so wherever that is, David is brought to Saul. And David said to Saul, uh, let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Hey, I'm gonna turn 60 this year, so I'm in the old category. Those of you who are younger, I so appreciate your vigor, and I mean that seriously. I so appreciate your life and your vigor for things. It's one of the things where uh, generations need each other. You know, there's life experience gets brought to the table, but sometimes for us older folks, our, actually our life experience gets in our way because we think life experience is all the experience that there is. But you younger folks, you have a vigor and, a, and you see things that you're like, yeah, this can be different than that. And we're all like, yeah, it probably could be different than that. And you're like, it's going to be, and you've got all this vigor for it. And I'll just say this, hey, there's some wisdom ahead of you, in front of you with others that are older than you, that when those two come together, vigor and experience can be a beautiful and a marvelous thing. And I love David's vigor here for life, uh, but there's a whole pile of theology behind it. We'll see that in a second as we unfold this verse 33 and Saul said to David you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth and he has been a man Goliath of you of war since his youth but David said to Saul listen to this your servant used to keep sheep for his father and when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock I went after it and I struck him and I delivered it out of his mouth, the sheep. And if he arose, the lion or the bear, against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. <laughs> if you have the view that David is a mama's boy, you gotta chuck that out. This dude is a stud. Do you see what he's saying? 
He's not making this story up. There was a time where there was a lion and, and a time when there was a bear and they were coming after my sheep. And I'm like, uh-uh. And he takes the lion and he takes the bear out. <laughs> Are you kidding me? And then he's like, and then he gets the sheep out of its mouth. And then if it goes after him, he's like, come on, man, come on. And by the way, this is all before we saw the last Sunday that the spirit of God rushed upon David. And then we asked the question, so what might it have been about David's heart that was so unique that God was like, I want a heart like that. Hey friends, history matters. And oftentimes with David and Goliath, we get so keyed up on, I want to do a big thing for God. And God is more like, I, 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 I want to do a whole series of things through your life. The whole David and Goliath event, event would not have happened, in my view, would not have happened had God not sovereignly allowed a bear incident and a lion incident to develop the kind of faith and character in David to be able to handle a Goliath in, in a incident. You with me? And oftentimes we think, I want to do the Goliath incident. And God's like, you, you, you aren't even up to the bear or the lion incident yet. And that's okay. James chapter one, I'm trialing your faith to show steadfastness that you would mature to be able to serve me in increasing ways. And the Goliath event for David is not all of a sudden like he got hit with a lightning bolt of super energy strength. The Goliath event is coming out of David being faithful unto the Lord and seeing the Lord and trusting in the Lord for years and years and years and years. And so when he comes on to this, quote, big event, all of a sudden it becomes something that's like, I've kind of done this, seen this before. Verse 36, your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine, man, this is smack talk shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Do you see this? David is more upset about the fact that God is being dissed than David or his people are being dissed. David is concerned about the fame of the name of the Lord. And that's what this is about. And when you think about that, the theology that's behind all of that, it is just huge, friends. His thinking to get to that place. No, I know Yahweh. I know what Yahweh has done with his people. I know what Yahweh has promised to his people. And this is not right. Verse 37, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. Do you see that, by the way? David doesn't go, you know, see right here, these things, these are what delivered me back then. No, 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 David knows these are nothing. It is the Lord that delivered him. And if the Lord delivered him from there, the Lord can deliver him from here. And by the way, if, if it is the matter of the Lord sending me out to go after this for the fame of the name of the Lord, and the Lord sovereignly has me taken down, then the Lord be praised. Verse 38, and then Saul clothed David with his armor, put a helmet of bronze on his head, clothed him with a coat of mail. David probably weighed as much as, as his coat. 
And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried in vain to go for he didn't, had not tested them. And then David said to Saul, I, I can't go with these. So David put them off, took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the brook, put them in the shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand. He approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him. For he was but a youth, ruddy, but handsome. And the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you came to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air, to the beasts of the field. And then David said to the Philistine, I'm out. No, listen to these words. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I will strike you down and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines. <clears throat> this day, whew, take a breath, to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. Why? That all the earth may know that there is a God. This isn't about David getting a victory. This is about the fame of the name of the Lord. This is an opportunity. This fear-filled situation is an opportunity to be able to make God's name known. That may just be in my life. That may be in those around me. But that's the point here. This isn't about David having some personal or moral win on his checklist. This is about the fame of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that all this assembly, verse 47, may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And when the Philistine rose and came and drew to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. I love this passage. Don't overly moralize it. Does it have application? Oh, absolutely. I mean, think about it even from this standpoint. Here's Goliath coming out. Fear comes out big and it shouts big and it shakes up big and all of that. And David's over here connecting God into it, thinking about what's going on. And this nine foot nine dude with this five foot four dude, David's running out to him. Let's go, my man. I can't even fathom that. Because I struggle with fear. And so do you. 
And this isn't about, isn't David awesome? This is about the fact that God wants to work through people who are willing and interested in allowing God to work through them for the fame of his name. I'm going to finish just with two statements for you. Two practical thoughts. Fear clicks in when I disconnect God from my fears. Fear clicks in when I disconnect God from my fears. This was Saul and the Israelites. They weren't bringing God into it. Biblical truth, when it's left sitting on the shelf, when who God is, we studied all of who God is, uh, or, or good portion of who God is early this time last year. When we bring all of that into our situation, when that is left, or left on the shelf, when we're not bringing it in, friends, we're on our own, and we look like the Israelites. And fear shouts big, and it states big, and it sounds big, and it looks big, and it is big. And it's crushing and it's debilitating. But what did David do? I would suggest he did one thing. David connected God. That's what faith does. Faith connects God. It clicks in, faith clicks in when God is connected to my fears. When I remember whose I am, when I remember who my God is, and I connect them to now, And out of who God is and what God has said, I stand in this. Not because I am great, I am actually a five foot four small guy. Like David. But when God is brought into it, something totally different. Not for God to be my lightsaber, but for the fame of his name. And David bringing this in, his standing, why? For the purpose of magnifying the Lord. Let me say it this way. When the elevator door opens and your knees begin to knock, is the Lord anywhere in the room? When a threat of cancer or COVID or death shouts big, is God being connected? into the whole reality of it. When I'm in a new setting with new people and the fear of that wants me to go into a panic attack, where is the Lord? Where is the fame of the name of the Lord in this whole situation right now? When I have economic, societal, political fears and they stick around big, Where's the Lord? You see, faith is an action, not just knowledge. It connects the Lord into my situations. War is fear cloaked in the courage of the Lord. And God, I would pray that you would help us in our fears, that you would move us, come alongside us, you would guide us. And Spirit of God, most of all, I just pray that we would take that step of connecting you into the situation at hand. And what then becomes bigger? How big are you in my fears? 
And God, it's not for our patting ourselves on the back. It's for the fame of your name. It's for your glory. Lord, I just pray as a people, we live in a day and age where we are not to be responding to the fears of this world the way the world responds. But we're to be responding with wisdom from you. And we need that help to connect you in and to see our situations from your vantage point. You are the God of all things, all situations, all opportunities. May we connect you into them. In Christ's name I pray, amen.